As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. When you put that money out, you put your family, your own financial well-being at risk to pay other employees, to pay the vendors, there's another level. So I think it's important to have advisors who have that front of check experience. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily 
Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff, and it is Sunday. Because it's Sunday, I have a special segment for you called Skill Set Sunday. And today, Skill Set Sunday, you will learn five things you might be missing by not having a tax strategy. Do you have a tax strategy? If you don't, well, here's five things you might be missing with us today to talk about that. Dusty Rollins. How you doing, Dusty? I'm excellent, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's my pleasure. A little bit about Dusty. He's the owner and founder of Oxford Business Services. He's an income planning and tax strategy expert based in Deland, Florida. He helps people save on their taxes as well as he focuses on retirement planning. And with that being said, Dusty, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus, and then we'll get right into the five things. Perfect, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on the call. And I got to tell you, I love the name of your show, Best Ever. If I could have a quick segue, I have a son who's 10 years old and he's special needs. He's got a little bit of a learning development delay and he loves waffles. So just about every morning he has waffles and every morning he says, these are the best ever, (laughs) (laughs) but it's every single morning. They get better and better and better. So I'm sure you're... you're, What a great mentality. uh, Exactly. I love it. So (laughs) I couldn't help but think about that with the title of your show. But I got into taxes kind of backwards. I didn't set out. I'm not trained as an accountant and I didn't set out to get in the field. I got into my own business. And actually, my initial business experience was in real estate investing in Atlanta in the go-go years, you know, the early 2000s when you just couldn't make a mistake in real estate. Any idiot could make money, and I did. So that was kind of my initial foray into business, if you will. And then as my business began to grow, the taxes began to be a more and more of a big issue. And I knew I had a sense. I love strategies. I love the thought process. I knew that there's always more than one way. So I knew there were these strategies that I could save on my taxes. And I also knew that the advisors I was using weren't going to get me there. So that kind of began a self-study to learn how to best set up your tax strategies, no matter what kind of business you're in. And real estate is a very tax-favored industry. So as I was doing that self-study, then other friends, other business owners were saying, well, can you do this for me? Can you do this? And that kind of just led me into doing the tax strategies as a business. And one of the things that I think is interesting about that, or one of the advantages I have now, is I tell my clients or prospects when I'm talking to someone, make sure that your advisors have front of the check experience. And what I mean by that is, if your whole life you sign the back of a check, meaning a paycheck, nothing wrong with it. The majority of America does that. And I did it for actually a very short time early on in my career. Nothing wrong with it, but there's a different experience we have when you've signed the front of a check. When you've put that money out, you've put your family, your own financial well-being at risk to pay other employees, to pay the vendors, there's another level. So I think it's important to have advisors who have that front of check experience. Yep. Been there, know what the clients are going through so you can speak from experience. So let's talk about the five things we might be missing by not having a tax strategy. Before we talk about those five things, 
what is a tax strategy? Great question. One of my favorite sayings, I don't know if it's good or not, <laughs> is your CPA is not doing what you think they're doing. So the overall big mistake I see business owners make is they kind of default their taxes. The term I use a lot is, oh, my CPA handles that. And unfortunately, the way the business model and the business structure of taxes are done, your CPA is probably handling some of your accounting work and then your tax preparation, which means at the end of the year, they fill out the forms, they put the numbers in boxes and help you discover how much money you owe. And then they say, okay, now you got to pay the IRS. And often if that business owner goes to that CPA and says, well, this is how much I owe, how can I pay less? Or how can I owe less? Or is this the absolute least amount I have to pay? I think they teach this in their training school somewhere. The CPA would say, well, you make what you make, you pay what you pay. So the difference, that next level of tax strategy is, it's kind of like playing chess. And I don't actually play chess, but I know that a good chess player is three or four moves ahead of an amateur chess player. Whereas checkers, you're just doing a jump, right? The next jump, the next jump. But chess, you're playing three or four moves ahead. And that's what a tax strategy is. Tax preparation is checkers. You just fill out the forms that keep you out of jail. And you need to do that. Don't stop doing that. But the chess part is the tax strategy where you're figuring out moves. You're figuring out what you're wanting to do so that you can pay the least amount legally required tax-wise. Okay. So what's the first thing that we might be missing? So the number one, and again, geared toward real estate investors, which I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are, all of them. So there we go. One of the big things is the new Trump tax law change of the last few years. A lot of people said, oh, this is a tax cut for the rich. And I always like to say it's not a tax cut for the rich. It's a tax cut for the business owner. So what I mean by that is you can have a doctor who is making half a million dollars a year on a W-2 income, meaning they work for a hospital or for an employer, that doctor is probably paying more in taxes than they did before the Trump tax cuts. But if you take that same doctor and he or she is a business owner, they could pay considerably less Mm -hmm. in taxes. So for the real estate investor, what's really important is understanding that now even more so you're in the small business realm. So even if you don't have another business outside of real estate, real estate can open that portal to the tax saving. So here's the big one. Number one is to take full advantage of section 199A. It's called QBI, Qualified Business Income. So if you qualify, you get an extra 20% deduction on that small business income. The problem is for most real estate investors, what they need to watch is the way they 1099. So there's a way that if you don't give a 1099 to the people who provide services for your company, then you might lose that deduction. Did that make sense at all? It does. So that's number one, is really making sure you're handling the 1099s correctly, which will give you the maximum deduction allowable under Section 199A. What's the most common mistake when handling the 1099s? Not doing them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Because there's not massive penalties for not doing them. It's not like not filing a tax return. It's not on that level, mm-hmm. and it gets a little bit complicated, but if you're not doing it properly or at all, 
then you might not be able to take the full 199A deductions. Okay. Any other questions on that? That was no, number one. Yep. No more questions on that. Perfect. Number two is real estate professional status. What's important to know here is if you have passive losses, it's sometimes hard to take them if you only have earned income. So what the IRS has said is if you have the passive income, you can take the passive losses. So the real estate professional status means you work at least 750 hours a year as a real estate professional. Now, a lot of people take this and don't work those hours or they kind of fudge that a little bit. So one of the things to watch that I've seen is there are some cases where a W-2 worker, so a person who has a full-time job, also claim that they're the real estate professional status, meaning they're working about 15 hours a week in real estate, and the IRS didn't like that. So one of the things to watch for, if that's the case and you have a spouse and the spouse doesn't have a full-time W-2 job, there's a natural fit there. But that's just an area because it can be very lucrative tax savings wise if it's handled properly, but I see it mishandled a lot. What's an example of how that can be beneficial, dollars and cents? You gave a really good example with the 500K doctor on number one, but how about number two? Let's go back to a doctor just to stick with the, because everybody thinks they're rich anyway. (laughs) So a doctor couple who are clients, he had a very high W-2 income and they had a lot of rental properties, of investment properties. So before they talked with me, they weren't declared real estate professional status, so they couldn't take some of the losses. What we did is we set up a clear plan, and the IRS always wants a why, and they want everything clear. So that's a free one there, not even part of the five. So we clearly showed where this lady, in this case, it was the doctor was the husband, the wife was not a doctor. She was able to qualify because she legitimately spent 15 hours or more a week managing the properties. So by getting that status, we were able to open up and take a number of losses. And in their case, it was an additional probably 35 grand a year in tax savings. Wow. Okay. And the key point, she didn't have to start doing it. She was already doing that work. She Mm -hmm. just wasn't classifying it correctly. Okay. Number three. Number three is cost segregation. A lot of your real estate investors will know this. You know how when you know something so well and you assume everyone knows it, we just keep running into people that don't know it. So what cost segregation does is one of the magics of real estate is that you can have positive cash flow and yet still not pay any taxes on it up to a degree because of depreciation. So what depreciation is saying is the IRS understands that, yes, you have positive cash flow, but your property is in essence decaying every year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what they do though, is they make you depreciate the value of the property over a certain schedule. So it can be 27 and a half years, 30 plus years. There's different schedules depending on the type of property. So again, if you're depreciating a property over 27 years, that's a much smaller yearly depreciation. Cost segregation is a study you do. And what it does is goes through and takes out the different parts. So it says your light fixtures and different parts inside the property depreciate differently. So your light fixture is not going to last 27 years, right? It's going to last five years. So it's a little bit complicated. You need a professional. 
I believe. You can kind of do it on your own, but it's really hard. And I don't do them either. But we work with teams that do it. And then you can accelerate the depreciation. Let's say a massive parts of the property, if you can accelerate it to a four or five year period, then you get a much bigger deduction each year. Does that make sense at all? It does. What is your response to someone who says, okay, here you, Dusty, but isn't cost segregation just kicking the can down the road because eventually it's going to be recaptured? Yes, it's a great question. There's a lot of different answers to that. One would be, though, that I would rather have the cash now, meaning the tax cash back, than in 27 years. Yep, time value money. Time value money and then opportunity costs. So now, instead of leaving that tax cash in the IRS coffers, if you will, 27 years from now, let's use it now to go buy another property to go build more wealth. And then the time value of money will capture it down the road. And then there's other things, though, about depending on when you sell it and how you sell it and if you ever sell it and how you transfer it. There are other ways that, again, the magic of real estate when it comes to taxes can help you alleviate. Did that make sense? I feel like I got in a little bit of a wormhole there. <laughs> yeah, it's a big wormhole, right? Because there's a lot of different right. variables and different permutations of how that could look. But yes, time value of money, I think, is the main reason why a dollar today is better than a dollar in five years. Correct. It just makes a lot of sense. Okay, number four. So number four is, again, there's three levels of taxpayers. So number four is a slightly more complicated in terms of this. There's three levels. Level one is the W-2. We've kind of talked about that. But that's a W-2. You get an employer pays you the money. They take out half the tax over the time for your withholding for the government. When it comes to the tax code, you're basically screwed. There's like three deductions. You don't have many plays when it comes to the tax code. So that's level one. Level two is a business owner. And again, all of your listeners who are involved in investment real estate are in essence business owners in one way, shape or form. So that opens up the portal to a lot more tax strategies. And those strategies center around writing off your mileage, the cost segregation, like we just talked about, personal things that you use as a business being deductible. Level two is the realm of deductions and write-offs, but there's a level three, and this is where not very many business owners, even really smart ones that have good advisors, not many business owners go to this level. I call it the elite level. It's kind of like, if you will, the Navy SEALs level, and that's where you're actually partnering with the IRS to help you build your wealth. Now, all of your libertarian clients just had chills go up their spine. (laughs) It's a partnership where you sleep with one eye open and not a surrender type of partnership. What I mean by this is the government uses the tax code to drive behavior. So that's why at various times, some politician will suggest we do away with the mortgage interest deduction on your house. And all the mortgage people and the real estate agents, that industry, the realtors, they get up in arms because they feel like if you take that deduction away, you'll hurt home sales, thus hurting mortgages. So whether they're correct or not is another discussion, but the government definitely uses the tax code to direct behavior. So what level three elite level is, 
is when what you're wanting to do to build your wealth and protect your family and leave your legacy, when that lines up with what the government wants you to do and are willing to give tax breaks for, then there is real magic. Okay. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it makes sense. But by partnering up with the IRS, and I'm not taking it literally, so I'm not going down that path, but that seems to be pretty general, not specific, because I could say that, well, as a real estate professional status, I'm essentially partnering up with the IRS because I'm going towards the direction that they want me to go to maximize benefits by being a business owner. I'm doing what the IRS is wanting me to do because I'm a business owner and I'm getting those deductions. So what's the actionable item here other than the concept? Well, real estate as a giant umbrella is the IRS wants you to go into real estate. So if you look at the Forbes 400, the top people, they either made their money in real estate or after they made their money went into real estate. So it is dripping with lucrative tax advantages like we just talked about. But when you have tax-free exchanges and you can accumulate and pass over, you can have the magic of depreciation where you're getting positive cash flow, but the property is actually depreciating. So real estate is absolutely a giant area. And I'll give you one caveat. When you get on a high level of real estate, I knew a couple guys in Atlanta that did major deals and they would get tax credits. So a municipality would give them tax credits to go in and build mixed use real estate. So a lot of times it would be nice apartments and condos, a little bit of commercial underneath, and then mixed in with a little bit of low income housing properly done, but they would get tax credits. And if they didn't need those tax credits for that project or for that company, they could actually sell those tax credits on a market. So usually for a slight discount, and then that way somebody else who needed those credits could buy them. So that is a way, again, where quote unquote, partnering with the government to build the wealth you want anyway. Another area that's not directly real estate related is ESOP, so employee stock ownership plans. Those are where the government's saying, as a business owner, if you're going to help out your employees, help give toward their retirement, help give them some ownership, then we're going to reward you with some ways to save on taxes as the business owner. Now, you got to set them up correctly, or they don't work unless you're a really giant company. But ESOPs are another good way where you can build that wealth and you're quote unquote partnering with the IRS. Okay, cool. ESOP plan. And we won't go deep into that type of plan, but what are some general guidelines that you'd give for a listener who does not have a Fortune 500 company, but is looking to implement this and get some tax advantages? Sure. On this level, you need a couple things. You need a business, you need to have some employees usually it's over 10 employees, and you need to have a tax bill. You need to be paying a fair bit in taxes. And largely part of that is because to make it worth everyone's time to set it up and to operate it properly. So if you have somebody who's just a sole operator, they have zero employees, and they don't pay that much in taxes, then ESOP is probably not something they need to really pursue heavily. But if they have employees and have a big tax bill, and a big tax bill in my mind would be basically a hundred grand plus. Okay. At that point, you can really start to get some exciting strategies going under the ESOP realm. Number five. 
The last one would be to get second opinion. So one of the things we find, one of my new clients is a chiropractor and we were doing a tax plan for him. And as we were looking over it, we saw that his previous accountant of 18 years who had retired had put one of his rental properties on the wrong form. So just for no apparent reason, just a, some kind of mistake that we never actually figured out why they did it, but we were able to amend it. But he put it on the wrong form. And by doing that, it costs the client over $1,200 in extra taxes. And again, you say, well, that's not that much, but a client only paid the CPA 800 a year to do his taxes. So the CPA was making these errors. And the reason I said 18 years and retiring was because a lot of times these guys get into a kind of a rhythm or a system where they're just filing it year after year after year. So if they make a mistake one year, it just kind of keeps going. And it wasn't a mistake. The IRS is not going to hound you to <laughs> refund your money. So it's not a mistake that would be legally problematic, but it took, in this case, $1,200 out of his pocket that he didn't need to pay. So I think the fifth or the overarching thing is to really look at getting a second opinion, make sure that you're getting that tax strategy in place and not just handle it by default. What are some questions you should ask him or her in order to see if they qualify to give you a second opinion? Someone else or your own CPA, a second Someone opinion? Someone else. Let's assume we're good yeah. with our CPA, <laughs> but we want to get that second opinion. How do sure. we qualify this second opinion person? Great question. And I would say, again, start with how do you handle your clients? And if they immediately start talking about tax preparation, here's how we do the forms. We get this to you ahead of time. If they immediately start there, they're probably not a tax strategist mindset. If they start with, well, we first need to look at where you're at, ask you some questions about what you're wanting to do, and then make sure all the strategies you're taking advantage of, that starts to help you see if they start talking tax strategy first. Did that make sense? It does. And then a key thing too, if you go back to your CPA, because invariably when we work with the client, we don't even want them to fire their CPA. We just want to do a tax plan to help make sure they've got all the strategies available. But when they go back to their CPA with our strategies, their CPA will go, yep, yep, yeah, we can do that. And the client will call me up and say, well, if we can do all that, why weren't we doing all that? And I'm like, I don't know. Don't ask me that, ask them. So that's some place you could start. If you really like your CPA, you think they're doing a good job on the tax side, ask them, am I taking advantage of every strategy possible and see what their responses are. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get in touch with you? If they go to DustyRollins.com, R-O-L-L-I-N-S, and I think the link will be in the show notes, DustyRollins.com forward slash best ever. It's a page there just for your listeners, Joe. And one of the authors, I have a book called The Taxpayer Manifesto. If they go to that page, they can get a completely free copy of the book shipped out. No credit card needed. Just send me a mailing address and I'll mail you the book. Outstanding. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing with us five things we might be missing out on by not having a tax strategy. And it's not only things we're missing out on, but you talked about some 
practical ways to implement those five things. So you didn't just leave us hanging, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Dusty, thanks so much for being on the show. Enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best of our weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe. Take care. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.